BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. For more than two decades, sports icon and tennis megastar Serena Williams has dominated and transformed the sport of tennis. Now, as she announced last week in an essay for Vogue magazine, she is evolving away from the sport and set to hang up her racket after this year's U.S. Open. Considered by many to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Williams has been an inspiration to a generation of tennis players, and her career has had special resonance for black women on and off the court. We'll talk about her legacy, and we want to know, what has Serena Williams meant to you? We'll hear from you after this news. This is Forum. I'm Ariana Prale in Fermina Kim. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a joy playing in front of you guys all these years. So thank you. That's the voice of tennis icon Serena Williams thanking fans at Toronto's National Bank Open last week following her final match in the city. The day before, she'd revealed her plans to, quote, evolve away from tennis. She doesn't like the word retirement and will leave the sport she's played and loved nearly her entire life after appearing at this year's U.S. Open in New York, the tournament where she captured her very first Grand Slam title back in 1999. It is my great pleasure to present to you the 1999 U.S. Open Women's Singles Trophy to Serena Williams. From there, she went on to win an open-era record of 23 Grand Slam singles titles. She's won 73 overall career titles, 14 major doubles titles with her sister Venus, four Olympic gold medals, spent 319 weeks at number one in the world, and holds the record for most career prize money of any Women's Tennis Association player with $94.6 million. Doing so is a black girl from Compton battling racism and sexism in addition to her opponents on the court. Here with me to reflect on Serena Williams and her amazing legacy on the court is Cecil Harris, tennis um, veteran sports reporter, host of the podcast docuseries All-American, Venus and Serena. He's also author of Different Strokes, Serena, Venus, and the Unfinished Black Tennis Revolution. Welcome to Forum, Cecil. Thank you, Ariana. It's good to be with you. We also have Suzette Hackney, deputy editor and national columnist at USA, USA Today. Welcome to Forum, Suzette. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And Cecil, I want to start with you. So, you know, tennis without Serena Williams, 
even though she already hasn't been active really the last year and it's not a shock knowing her age, the official announcement is, you know, nonetheless a hard one to take for fans. I know it's hitting me kind of hard. How have you been reflecting on it and on the meaning of Serena in this last week? It has me nostalgic about Serena's greatest moments. It has me thinking about how much I'll miss her on the court, not only her great tennis, but also the passion she brought to the court, how Serena was always her authentic self. When women players are expressive on court, fist pumps saying, come on, that used to be frowned upon, but it was a sexist double standard that Serena simply rejected. She was her authentic self. When she hit a great shot, she reacted, and tens of thousands of people in the stands reacted to her. I'll miss that as much as her great tennis. Yeah. And Suzette Hackney, you've spoken about watching Serena and Venus play each other in the 2001 U.S. Open final, how emotional it made you and how inspired were you? Can you, you were, can you talk about, you know, that and and what Serena means to you? Absolutely. Uh, I remember that match like it was yesterday, uh, seeing those two sisters play each other, thinking about the emotional baggage that they both had. Um, The fact that Serena was playing her bigger sister on such a big court had to be intimidating and scary and exciting. Uh, I remember watching that match like I was almost like entranced. I just sat in front of the television and I watched each point and watched their mannerisms and I just sobbed. I had not seen anything like that. Two women, young girls who looked like me playing against each other um, with such determination uh, was an amazing thing to witness. And I know we also have Elsie Granderson joining us now, columnist with the Los Angeles Times, host of the podcast Life Out Loud with Elsie Granderson. Welcome back to Forum, Elsie. Thank you very much for having me. I apologize for my tardiness. No problem. Just in time. So uh, you write in your recent column that if you don't, quote, if you don't talk about Serena's intelligence and mental toughness, you're not really talking about Serena at all. Can you say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've had the great pleasure of covering her um, basically since the... One of the things that was very clear was that not only were the the women, you know, something that we hadn't seen before in terms of race, but they also were something we hadn't seen before in terms of combination of athleticism and power and speed. Um, They brought a, almost a WNBA slash U.S. Olympic track sort of physique to tennis. And because of that, people became obsessed with it. And they became so obsessed with talking about their power, so obsessed with talking about the speed um, in which they were able to cover the court that you began to hear fewer and fewer references to them actually constructing points to win those matches. And then once the sisters began showing interest in events or you know activities outside of tennis, like pop culture, like fashion, mm-hmm. then their intelligence weren't discussed at all, but instead their commitment to the sport was. Oh, are they really committed to the sport? They're going to be distracted, blah, 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 blah. And so they were getting credited less and less for how smart you have to be as a tennis player. And Serena in particular was being thought of less and less about how resilient she was as an athlete who every single time she was on the court had a target on her back because she was either number one or right. something her father said or et cetera. And so I wanted to re- remind people that you don't get to win 
at the clip that Serena Williams and Venus too, but definitely Serena, if you're just big and strong, you have to be brilliant to win at tennis. And she was that. And I wanted to remind people not to get that part of her legacy. Mm. Well, I'll just share for, for me personally, I remember one of my worst years and lowest points was one of Serena's best years on the tour. And I hadn't been watching tennis um, for some time. I grew up watching it with my mom, um, but then, you know, refound a, a love for it in adulthood because of Serena. She brought me back and she was literally a lifeline. You know, watching her be so strong and dominant and just winning gave me something to look forward to, you know, and I've watched her from tournament to tournament, not just the Grand Slams. And to me, that's what our biggest and best sports heroes do, right? Cecil Harris, like inspire hope, inspire perseverance in others. And she's done that for both fans and her colleagues on the tour. Absolutely. They lift their fans. They inspire generations. And Serena and Venus have really inspired two generations of female tennis players since Serena and Venus came along in the mid-1990s. And for me, part of Serena's legacy are the players today who pattern themselves after Serena. I look at a Naomi Osaka, who right. told me that when she was in the third grade for a class assignment to write a one-pager on the person you admire most. Naomi wrote about Serena and prophesied playing Serena in a U.S. Open final, which happened in 2018. Naomi happened to win that match. There's also Coco Gauff, who as of today is world number one in doubles, an 18-year-old African-American who said it was easy for her to aspire to be a professional tennis player because she saw someone on court who resembled her, who was dominating the sport, talking about Serena. And it even extends beyond race, although women of color certainly are primarily rooting and idolizing Serena and Venus. But there's also uh, Bianca Andreescu, a Canadian of Romanian parents, who saw Serena and hugged her and said, you're the GOAT, I know everything about you. And mm. Bianca plays tennis for a living because of Serena. So it really, she inspired so many people and continues to inspire so many people because of what she represents on court. Yeah. Her talent, her intelligence, her indomitable will, and she does it her own way, and it's beautiful to watch. And, and one part you know, of... You know, I would just oh, add... Oh, go ahead, Elsie. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, if I could just add... Um, He's absolutely correct in terms of the players who are occurring on tour. But there are players who have picked up the racket in college, who are playing on the high school teams because they were inspired by Serena. There are rec league people who went and found tennis clubs like myself. I didn't come to play tennis myself until I was in my 30s and the sisters were inspiring. So I think, yes, absolutely focus in on the players who are in the top 10 or who are playing for championships today. But her influence goes so much far further beyond those who are able to do it for a living, those who just do it for fun are dressing up and yelling Serena on the court. I know because I've been there and I've heard it. So reach, you know, is, is, is beyond just the professional ranks. And we actually have a cut of Coco Goff last week during her press conference talking about Serena's meant to her. Let's hear it. I mean, I grew up watching her. I mean, I, that's the reason why I play tennis. And, you know, tennis being predominantly white sport, it, it definitely helped a lot because um, I saw somebody look like me dominating the game, and it made me believe that I could dominate too. 
And then my my dad, I think for, for her whole story, the Williams sister's story, not just Serena, um, with Mr. Williams and all that he's done for both of them, inspired my dad to um, continue to coach me and help me, um, even though he had not really much tennis experience. But he was like, if Mr. Williams can do it, then I can. And I think um, it's not so much just what Serena and Venus has left. It's also the whole Williams family um, in general. Again, that was Coco Goff, uh, 18-year-old tennis phenom last week at the Toronto Open, talking about you know Serena's announcement and just what she's meant to the game. Suzette Hackney, uh, what are your reflections on on this? Her influence on the next generation. And I know for your piece that you did in USA Today, you were in conversation with a younger colleague who you know came to to watching Serena. You know when she was already kind of in the in the groove of her her fame, but just you know she continues to have impact on you know fans, young and old. She certainly does, and I I think it shouldn't be lost on us that we're looking at a woman who has worn on her sleeve her desire to be at the top of her game. And we're not just talking about tennis here. Um, She has shown us what it means to work hard, to try different things, the pressure she puts on herself to succeed that we have all witnessed throughout the years. Um, One thing that really struck me in her announcement um, that she's retiring after the U.S. Open is the fact that she's doing this to grow her family. Mm. She said that she can have her, she can have two feet firmly in tennis or two feet firmly in something else that she wants to do. And that includes being a, becoming a mother again. That's so powerful to me that she still at the top of her game has decided she wants to do this for her family. She wants to do this for her. And that also plays into inspiration. That also shows younger generations, you can have it all. You can be the GOAT, um, but then you can decide, I want to be a mother as well. And I want to do that to the best of my ability. That speaks volumes of who she is. We're talking about Serena Williams, her career and legacy after her announcement last week that she's set to retire from tennis in the coming weeks. I'm talking with Cecil Harris, veteran sports reporter, host of the podcast docuseries All-American Venus and Serena, Suzette Hackney, deputy editor and national columnist for USA Today, and Elsie Granderson, columnist for the, LA, uh, for the LA Times, host of the podcast Life Out Loud with Elsie Granderson. And you, our listeners, what has Serena Williams meant to you? Do you have a favorite on-court memory or match? Email your comments to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Ariana Pralin for Mina Kim. More after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. I've had people look, put me down because I didn't look like them. 
I look stronger. I've had people look past me because of the color of my skin. I've had people overlook me because I was a woman. I had critics say I will never win another Grand Slam when I was only at number seven, and now here I stand today with 21 Grand Slam titles, and I'm still going. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in for Mina Kim. That was tennis and sports icon Serena Williams giving a speech after receiving Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year Award in 2015. We're talking about the legacy of Serena and what she will leave on the court when she leaves the sport in a matter of weeks following this year's U.S. Open, per her own announcement in an essay for Vogue magazine last week. I'm talking with Cecil Harris, veteran sports reporter and host of the podcast docuseries All-American Venus and Serena. He's also author of Different Strokes, Serena Venus and the Unfinished Black Tennis Revolution. We also have Suzette Hackney, deputy editor and national columnist at USA Today, and LZ Granderson, columnist with the L.A. Times and host of the podcast Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson. So in one part of Serena's Vogue essay, she writes, This sport has given me so much. I love to win. I love the battle. I love to entertain. I'm not sure every player sees it that way, but I love the performance aspect of it to be able to entertain people week after week. Elsie, can you speak to Serena's ability to dazzle us on the court? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she dazzles us in so many ways, whether it's her style of play or the level of athleticism that she displays that perhaps doesn't necessarily need, need it to occur. And I'm thinking specifically of like some of her splits, um, like right. Novak Djokovic, for instance, slides his splits a lot. And you can tell they put a little something, something on it. It may not, necess- may not be necessary for the stroke itself, but it looks cool or that it's just a flare. It's almost like a crossover dribble from a basketball player or the way that an NFL player would make a juke move that just to prove I can do this, she does that. And it's fun. And I love that she brings that flair to it. But she also brings fashion. And she pushes the envelope with her fashion. Obviously, you know, a lot of attention was drawn towards her traditional African-American hairstyles when she and Venus first bust into the scene. And those are all aspects in my of the way that Professional athletes across the board entertain fans, and I'm really glad that Serena acknowledged it because we've always appreciated that part of us. You know, some of us call it the drama of Serena Williams, and we don't mean that in a derogatory way. We mean that she's compelling. She's such a compelling figure, and I love the fact that she acknowledged that part, that it was an exchange for 20 years between fan and player. Yeah. And Suzette Hackney, you had your own fairly recent dazzling starstruck moment meeting both Serena and Venus at the premiere of their movie, King Richard. What stood out to you about that encounter? And I know so you all, you've also been a fan of the fashion and, and the flair that um, Serena and Venus have brought to the court. Yes, well, I, I was very starstruck and they were nothing but kind um, when I met both of them. Um, you know, they're just such big figures. Um, They walk into the room and they just suck all of the life out of it. And it seems like it appears in their faces and their physique and their outfits. You know, um, Venus intentionally wore her hair braided and she wore beads in her hair the night of that premiere. And that was to pay homage to when they were little girls on the court. And they were criticized for having braids and cornrows and wearing beads in their hair. Um, that was such a powerful moment for me to see her do that. Um, and, you know, I like I said, I, I was 
I tried not to be a fangirl, but I was. And I and I really just was able to thank both of them for all that they've given us over the years. Um, you know, LZ talks about how dynamic they are, how entertaining they are. I mean, you know, Serena was criticized for wearing that cat suit and the body suits and and all of the the really cool fashion things that she has tried on and off the court. Um, she has just decided, I'm going to live my authentic self. I'm very into fashion. I'm going to bring part of that to the game as well. Yeah. Well, Kat writes, Serena Williams means everything to me. She was the only reason I started watching tennis. She's been so heavily criticized over the years for everything from her skin color to her passion slash aggression on court to her choice of hairstyles or outfits and even her body size. But she has done so much for tennis that the good will always out the good will always outweigh the bad. Hashtag woman crush every day. Let's go to caller Antonio in Santa Clara. Antonio, you're on. All right. So I wear my hair how I want to, and that's one of the greatest things in the world is being alive and having great sports heroes. And, you know, I'm very humble in my dignity. But there is not a greater family in this world than the Williams. Wow. And yeah. Arthur Ashe as well. And well, th- I just want to say thank you because if I did not grow up playing tennis, I would never have been a professional soccer player. And so it's such a great sport and so much contribution. Compton is awesome, and thank you all. Yeah, thank you, Antonio, for for sharing your reflections. And Cecil Harris, it's hard not to say Serena and Venus in this conversation. We have already been doing it a, a lot on the panel because their stories are, you know, so closely intertwined, of course even if the stat sheet is different. And that's something Serena herself will be the first to say. There is no Serena without Venus. And in her Vogue essay, Serena writes about Venus, I followed her around the world and watched her. When she lost, I understood why, and I made sure I wouldn't lose the same way. That's how I started to move so fast up the rankings, because I learned the lessons from Venus's loss instead of the hard way from my own. Cecil, you make note of this in your podcast, All American Venus and Serena, the significance of how Serena arrived on the scene versus Venus and how that helped shape Serena. That's right, Ariana. Venus basically had to pave the way. Venus faced those slings and arrows. The first time Venus played in the U.S. Open was in 1997 when a player from Romania, Irina Sperlea, deliberately bumped into Venus to try to physically intimidate her during a match. Venus went on to win the match, but the intent of Sperlea was clear, sending a message to Venus, you don't belong here. But Venus wasn't having it. Serena didn't have to face incidents quite like that, being frozen out in the locker room or being physically bumped during a tennis match. And later accusations of so-called match fixing coming from a Russian player, Elena Dementieva, which put the whole family under a cloud of suspicion without any evidence to back it up whatsoever. So there were things that Venus had to deal with coming 15 months before Serena, let's say, that's made it a bit easier for Serena, but they both had to face a lot of nonsense. There's an 
tournament at Indian Wells in 2001 where the match fixing and Venus pulling out with an injury led to people thinking that Richard Williams was deciding who would win the matches. Again, no evidence whatsoever to support it, but in a predominantly white sport, these two young women are on the verge of taking over the sport, which they did, and the tennis establishment didn't like it. So they came up with false narratives to try to put these sisters down. But in the end, Serena and Venus persevered. And that's why Serena is the GOAT in tennis. And she quite properly credits Big Sister with paving the way. As Serena put it when I talked to her, Venus opened the doors. All I had to do was walk through. Mm. And yeah, you you bring up Indian Wells and Elsie um, Granders, and you know we've talked some some about the adversity Serena faced, and because she's black, because her body didn't look like other players on tour. To this day, the comment section can be quite obscene and cruel to her. Um, and you know Cecil has raised one of the first and most infamous moments where that hostility was blatantly on display at Indian Wells in 2001. We have a cut of the booing that both Serena and the family experienced. Let's listen. Welcome to viewers from British Eurosport. It's an amazing sound here. A crescendo of booze for Serena Williams. And there's Father Richard coming down. It's quite amazing. Joe Jury alongside me, Simon Reed. There's Venus. And the crowd, an American crowd, booing an American family. And you have to say that it does smack of a little bit of racism. Well, I'm, I'm just speechless. I've never heard this before ever, and I've been on the circuit, or was on the circuit, for quite a long time. Elsie Granderson, can you talk about that moment and the impact it had on Serena and the Williams family? First of all, I found myself, you know, somewhat shocked that he thought it was a little bit of racism. Right. <laughs> I was like, that didn't sound like parsley to me. That's not like the main course, but, you know, go on with that. Um, that moment... They keep in mind that leading up to 2001 at Indian Wells, they had already encountered other moments of that nature, right? Cecil mentioned earlier with, you know, the U.S. Open in 97. Um, in my piece that I wrote about Serena Williams, we talked about what Arantxa uh, sanchez Ricario said about her in 1998 after their clash at the French Open. Um, so it had sort of been building, right? Mm. But what we hadn't seen and what we hadn't witnessed, certainly not on television, was the fans getting on the players, just like some of the other players were. Up until then, we're talking a lot about the media. We're talking a lot about um, other players. But we hadn't really seen the fans be so blatantly hostile until that moment. And because Indian Wells, for a lot of people, is viewed as the fifth major, if you will, because it's such a fantastic event, even though it's only a Masters 1000 and not a 2000, like a Masters, like a major would be. But because it's viewed so prestigiously, a lot of people were watching. A lot of tennis people were watching. And I'm sure some people felt the booze were justified and they tried to say it was because of the withdrawal. But I also know tennis extremely well. I've covered this sport for a very long time. It is a polite sport. There are courts in which if a fan is talking during a serve, that fan would get ostracized by other fans and shushed by other fans. It's a very, very polite sport. So for that crowd to behave in that way when it's viewed as one of the premier events because this Black family dared to show up 
was so profound. And I can't even imagine. And I know they wrote about it individually when they finally decided to end their boycott. I still can't imagine what it would be like to walk through those corridors and try to forget what happened even after all these years because they're out there, they're by themselves. And in a sport that is known for being polite was as rude as I'd ever seen it. And it was horrible. Yeah. And in the essay that Serena wrote um, in announcing that she would return and and is choosing forgiveness, she did write, this haunted me for a long time. It haunted Venus and our family as well. And Suzette Hackney, Serena's talked about um, or answered questions about, you know, pointing out like you really had to deal with a hostile work environment, like on a public stage um, for for a lot of her career. And Suzette, I'm just wondering if what reflections you have on that one being, you know, something that you were able to witness, but um, also as a black woman, maybe something that was another way you identified with Serena. Yes. Well, you know, when you sat back and watched Serena and all of these difficult moments that she had, a lot of it stemmed from racism, but she always had that ability to stand up for herself. Sure, there were times when she was devastated, um, and I'm sure it was painful, but she never backed down. And that's a lesson we can all take. Me as a Black woman, you know, um, situations that have happened to me in newsrooms over the years, situations that have happened to me just out and about in daily life. Um, She was speaking to us. She was showing us the way. She was speaking to little Black girls as well, saying, listen, be strong. Don't let people intimidate you. Um, She often wore and and still wears her emotions on her sleeves on the court. Um, She's been condemned brutally for that. Yet men, I'd say John McEnroe comes to mind, had meltdowns all the time. Um, But yet when Serena did it, it was a big issue. Uh, But she always just kept it moving. She always just, she spoke her mind, explained why she did what she did, And she moved on and she continued to dominate in the game doing so. We're talking about Serena Williams, her career and legacy. And we invite you, our listeners, also to join the conversation. You can share your comments of what Serena's meant to you. If you have a favorite memory or match moment that you want to share, you can email your comments to forum at kqed.org, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or at KQED Forum, or giving us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm talking with Cecil Harris, veteran sports reporter, Suzette Hackney, deputy editor and national columnist at US. Say today, Elsie Granderson, columnist at the Los Angeles Times. And I'd like to add another voice into the conversation, Jerry Maserati, author of the biography Seeing Serena. He also writes regularly about tennis for The New Yorker. Welcome to Forum, Jerry. Jerry, are you there? Okay, I think we'll just wait a second. But um, I was going to also introduce... uh, a Billie Jean King uh, cut into the conversation as well. You know, a bunch of tennis legends have already been speaking some on Serena's announcement, and Billie Jean King did so as well. Here she is at the National Bake Open in Toronto last week. I think that we've been very blessed to have Serena Williams uh, in our sport. Great athlete. A lot of people think she's the GOAT, and I think every generation gets better. So right now, she's the GOAT. And... um, I love reading about her and listening to her about how she's evolving. And I think uh, 
that now she has the Serena Investments, giving back to others and investing in others, particularly uh, with women's business and women of color. Uh, she's always told me she was going to help women of color. So um, all I know is just, it's just the beginning for Serena. So Serena, if you're listening, go for it. Keep evolving. You're the best. So good luck. God bless you. Again, that was tennis legend Billie Jean King on Serena. And Jerry Maserati, the GOAT combo was always an interesting one. You know, Billie Jean gave a very thoughtful answer, I'd say, in acknowledging her greatness while also acknowledging the continuum of, of GOATs before and, and possible GOATs that may come after. I'm sure there might be doubts on whether there could be some after, but we'll see. You know, what are your thoughts on Serena as the greatest of all time? Yeah, well, you know, I look at it this way. I think she's the most consequential American athlete since Muhammad Ali. And what do I mean by that? Um, she imposed herself not only on the tennis court and on her opponents, and she imposed herself uh, not only on the tennis game, uh, she changed how it was played by women and she changed the kinds of women who would come to play the game. But she imposed herself on the culture. Um, she's a, a cultural figure beyond uh, uh, anything uh, uh, that's that's ever come out of, uh, or anyone that's ever come out of women's tennis. I mean, Billie Jean King uh, is a, ter- a, a, a a very consequential uh, woman in, in terms of what she's done for you know women's equality, not only in sport but in business and other places. But she was not the champion uh, that Serena was, and she she wasn't in an era that Serena was where she could use media to project herself beyond the tennis court. And Serena has been a genius at that, using social media, using television. So she she's a, a figure, she's not a, a, as directly politically engaged as Muhammad Ali was, but if you believe the personal is political, and I do, she's, a, uh, she's, she's changed the way we think about women mm-hmm. uh, and uh, about race and women in a well, way that there's really nobody like her. Well, speaking about cultural impact, this here's the song Sorry by Beyonce. And she was a part of the video because of what she represented as a courageous and strong woman. We're talking about the legacy of Serena Williams. We'll have more with our panel after the break. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. That was the sound of tennis megastar Serena Williams winning her Open Era record 23rd Grand Slam title at the Australian Open in 2017, beating her sister Venus. This hour, we've been talking about Serena Williams, her career and her legacy after her announcement last week that she's set to retire from tennis in the coming weeks. I'm talking with Cecil Harris, veteran sports reporter, host of the podcast docuseries All-American Venus and Serena. Suzette Hackney is with us as well, deputy editor and national columnist for USA Today. Elsie Granderson, columnist for the LA Times and host of the podcast Life Out Loud with Elsie Granderson. And Jerry Marzarati, who writes regularly about tennis for The New Yorker and is author of the biography Seeing Serena. And you, our listeners as well, you can still give us a call, 866-733-676, and share your moments of what Serena has meant to you over over the years. So Suzette Hackney, not long after that win, Serena revealed she was pregnant with her daughter Olympia and had played the tournament while pregnant. Another, you know, what can't this woman do moment. And we actually have a comment from Bonnie who writes, I'm sitting here six weeks postpartum crying and listening to you talk about the GOAT. For me as a tennis fan, a female athlete, and a feminist, the biggest impact that Serena made on me was watching her come back to play as a mother, knowing that her body, knowing what her body had been through, and knowing that as a mother she'd forever feel torn between two worlds. My heart ached for her when she lost to Naomi Osaka. It's amazing to have Serena speak to the reality of only being able to have two feet in one thing at a time, a feeling moms know so well. She's an icon in so many ways. I know you touched on this earlier, but just any reflections hearing, you know, this comment from Bonnie and hearing the replay of her, her winning 2017. Well, when you talk about impact, of course, um, it was amazing. She was two months pregnant during the um, 2017 Australian Open and, and managed to beat her sister. Uh, but when I think about the impact beyond tennis, I think about what she's done, how she's helped so many women across this country and world when she so openly talked about the complications that she had in childbirth, she had a pulmonary embolism and almost died. And she wrote in Elle magazine at the time or after the time that she had to advocate for herself. She had been talking to doctors and telling them something's not right, something's not right. And she was dismissed by healthcare providers. Um, and so she had to continue fighting and, and that led to, she had various clots and she'd had various blood clots early on in her career. So she knew what she was dealing with, yet no one was listening to her. Um, and so she was eventually treated with a, a series of surgeries after childbirth. Um, she wrote in that piece for Elle, she talked about the fact that black people are nearly three times more likely to die during or af- after childbirth 
than white people. That was an aha moment. That was someone who, you know, we had all watched as an athlete talk about women's bodies and women's health care issues and not being listened to. And that's still a theme today. But she was one of the first people who came out and started talking about that. And I think that's going to be a lasting impact as well. Hmm. Jerry Maserati, your book, Seeing Serena, centered on following her during her 2019 season, part of her comeback after giving birth and almost dying in the aftermath as we were just discussing. She made the Wimbledon and U.S. Open finals that year as she had in 2018, but failed to lift the trophy. She laments in her Vogue article not being able to seize those chances to win another Grand Slam. What did you learn about that chapter of her career and what it means to her legacy? Yeah, I mean, first of all, she was uh, not only a mother, she was an older mother. I mean, there had been players who managed to win after they uh, gave birth to their children, but they, these were players who were 23 and 24 years old. This was a, Serena was in her mid thirties. Uh, and the pressure on her was enormous. The, you know, this idea of winning this 24th uh, major to, to tie her uh, uh, with Margaret Court, uh, you know, it, to me, it's it doesn't make, much sense you know margaret court was a great tennis player in her day but she won a lot of those majors outside uh before the uh open era and she won them in australia at a time when the great the great best players in the world would not travel to australia the australian open was held around the 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 christmas holidays players just didn't go um so there was a lot of and you could see the pressure on serena i mean when she was playing uh the U.S. Open in 2019 uh, against B- uh, Bianca Andreescu, Serena had been demolishing players uh, <laughs> on her way to the final. I mean, it was it, it, uh, she was playing some of her best tennis in her career, and then you watched her, and suddenly that her, her her first serve was about eight or nine miles uh, per hour slower uh, than it normally is. She was. Uh, she just wasn't moving, and that's just nerves. Now she would not. I tried to talk to her about it afterwards, and she wouldn't. She wouldn't uh, acknowledge that. But it, it meant more to her than she wanted it to mean to her. And she was just tight. And if a tennis player is tight um, and has those kinds of expectations on her shoulders, it shows up. It shows yeah. up in their performance, and that's what happened. Yeah. Well, let's go to caller Angela in San Francisco. Angela, you're on. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. I've been waiting here, and I did hear one of your guests speak to something I also observed from Serena Williams, and it's just advocating for black health care and people dismissing symptoms of African-Americans. It's not only in pregnancy, but I was my understanding, she had an ankle injury that first manifested a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot. But I also wanted to be in tremendous gratitude. I grew up in Long Beach, California. Sometimes Long Beach, California, and Compton are synonymous. And I went to the same high school Billie Jean King did. I'm an African-American woman who was playing on their, on a tennis team, I was actually on the tennis team as well. And to my knowledge, I was the only African-American way back in 1971. So, wow. so I thank you for taking my call. And, I yeah, back way when it was never envisioned that we see a family come into tennis and integrate a sport that, for me, was prominently white. 
Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Thank you for, for sharing your story with us, Angela, and your comments. And and Cecil Harris, it, it does make me think, you know, there's the influence on the next generation that we've talked about. And I wonder if you can also speak to not just the legacy she and Venus have uniquely created, but the greater legacy Serena's career is now a part of when we look at the full continuum back to black woman tennis pioneer Althea Gibson. And I know you spoke to Serena in 2006 for a book about Althea um, because, you know, Serena herself also acknowledges just how great Althea was and that Althea opened the door, right? Exactly. In 2006 at the U.S. Open, at that time, Serena was dabbling in acting. And she said to me she wanted to play Althea. Perhaps now Serena will produce a film about Althea. But in 2006, she told me she wanted to play Althea because her parents, Richard Williams and Orsine Price, told her about Althea and how Althea was treated very badly in the sport, not invited to the U.S. Nationals doubles tournament for seven years in a row when she was top 10 in singles, then having to retire from the sport in 1958 when she was number one in the world because she wasn't making any money. She wasn't getting the under the table payments like the top men, and she wasn't getting lucrative endorsement deals that would have allowed her to play as a quote amateur, unquote. Serena knew all that, and she knew that she was part of a legacy. And when Serena won her US Open in 1999, Nobody had to tell her that she was the first black woman to win a major tennis title since Althea Gibson won the U.S. Nationals in 1958. She knows her place in tennis history. Yeah. Well, Bob writes, in 1998, I was in middle school and had the opportunity to work concessions at a pro women's tournament at Stanford. I was in awe watching the Williams sisters play when I actually started playing um, when I actually that I actually started playing uh, tennis in high school the next year. I mean, Elsie Granderson. That's, I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about the whole hour. But just to to kind of hear those those comments of of people literally like showing up to a match or, or picking up a racket because they watched Serena or Venus. Absolutely, and that's what sports can do if the athlete is a compelling figure. If the narrative around the athlete or team is compelling and draws us in and we can't look away. And she's had the pleasure and both the burden of representing not just women's tennis in America, but tennis period in America. Because after the big three of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic began winning and gobbling up all of the real big titles, uh, the, the sort of foothold that tennis had in American sports had dissipated and really wasn't revitalized in full until Venus and Serena um, came on the scene. And then as Venus, um, you know, continued to struggle in singles and, and Serena found herself out there being the sole hope of America at these major tournaments for like a decade. That's a tremendous amount of pressure. And oh, by the way, she didn't let us down. And so that's a compelling story in and of itself. So absolutely, she's a source of inspiration for so many reasons, so many reasons. And that's just one other thing I would like to point out, because I think it's really germane to explaining how her mind works. Mm -hmm. right? so, so she's in this essay, and she says she doesn't like the word retirement. Right. And then she says that she's thought about transition, but then she specifically took a moment 
to let people know that she's aware of how that word impacts the LGBTQ plus community, particularly trans people, and that she didn't want to use that word and have it seem like it's being conflated with something else, and more importantly, as if it doesn't have significant meaning for another community. She mm. took the time to do that as she was announcing that her career was coming to an end. That, to me, is absolutely incredible. And I got her credit, you know, her relationship probably with Billie Jean King, who, in addition to being a fantastic ally for women's rights, uh, she is openly gay herself, without it, actually, and had to endure that towards the latter part of her career. But she has gone on to be a fantastic LGBTQ plus advocate as well. Um, then later in life, that's Billie Jean King. And the friendship between her and Serena, you got to think, had something to do with her just being cognizant of even that little moment, which really meant a lot to queer people. Because I've interviewed a bunch of queer people, particularly queer people who play tennis in the tennis gay league. And they all noticed that she took moment, just a brief little half a sentence, to acknowledge us. It meant everything. But that's Serena. She understands details matter. Yeah. Well, we're talking about Serena Williams, her career and legacy. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. You're listening to Forum. So we're getting into the the final minutes and of the show. And I just like to hear everyone's favorite memory of Serena or a favorite moment um, that's going to stand out for you. Um, it could be, you know, on the court in a match or in a press conference, just anything that really kind of sums up the meaning of, of Serena for you. Jerry Maserati, I'll, I'll start with you. Well, you've, uh, you and uh, my uh, co-guests here have talked a lot about that match against Kim Kleisters in Indian Wells. Um, to me, that was uh, an amazing moment, not only, uh, not only because of the racist treatment that Serena and her family faced, but that Serena, to me, Serena became Serena in that match. She was on her own. It was a, con- it was a moment when her family, which uh, cared so much to protect her, could really not protect her. And she's talked about that. And she was just, she was you know, on, the, on the tennis court in this huge arena and she had to find a way to win and she found a way to win. And if you watch that match, it's, it's really, uh, difficult to watch because the, the booing was incessant, but she, she, she struggled through it. And to me, that struggle is so much a part of who she's been on court. And to me, she became who we think of her as becoming uh, in that moment. Yeah. And in her acceptance speech saying, you know, may not, may not have been, you know, rooting for me. She, but she says, but I still love you all. I mean, that was, I mean, talk about, yeah, just kind of yeah. flipping the, the negative into the positive um, for yourself. Uh, Suzette Hackney, uh, what's one of your favorite memories and moments that's going to stand out for you in her career? I would have to say the 2001 U.S. Open finals against Venus. Um, you know, that was just a moment in time we we can never get back i remember the emotion on both of their faces uh, again i i spoke earlier about that pressure that serena must have felt to be playing big sis on such a big stage um and they just both handled it so exquisitely um that i will you know i i'm a huge sports fan and watch a little bit of everything um but that match that did something to me that I can't even explain. It, it, it was just a, a beautiful thing to witness. Elsie Granderson, what say you? Uh, um, 
Can I cheat and give you two quick ones? Sure. <laughs> yeah, as long as they're quick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The first one was 2012. Uh, I was covering a Wimbledon for ESPN. She had just won. Um, I was in the green room. I was a little emotional, really happy for her. I step out. Um, this is like maybe an hour or so later. She's changed and she's doing interviews. And I happen to bump into her in the hallway. And she looks at me and she says, LZ, I did it. And I was like, girl, I know. And I gave her a big hug. Oh. And it was awesome. And I would never forget that moment. I would story. <laughs> <laughs> the other story, um, which is tremendous, is that um, Serena was on the cover of The Body Issue for ESPN. The uh, magazine. yes. That was there. And she had a quote that really, really sounded like she was bragging because she had just completed like the Serena Slam, winning all four majors in a row. And she said that she was nowhere near her prime. And at the time, I was like, okay, girl, you're going to need to calm down. You can't get better than this. <laughs> and she went on and got a second Serena Slam. She went on and got Olympic medals and singles. She went on and did so much more. So when she said she was nowhere near her prime, when I thought it couldn't get any better, that was just yet another example of her knowing herself better than anyone else. Yeah. And Cecil, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite standout memory? Well, I was going to mention that 2001 Indian Wells final, but Jerry beat me to it. So I'll go to another match that really typifies Serena's indomitable will. And to defeat Serena in her prime, you had to find a way to somehow match her will as well as her tennis skills. In the 2012 U.S. Open final against Victoria Azarenka, Azarenka led 5-3 in the third set, meaning she just needs one more game to win the title. I saw Serena refuse to lose. Basically, she elevated her game to a level that Azarenka could not match, to a level that has rarely been seen in tennis, in winning the last four games to take that championship when she seemed to be down and out. And from that point on, I learned you never count out Serena Williams because she found a higher level and brought everybody with her. And by the end, there are 23,000 people at Arthur Ashe Stadium going wild after this incredible comeback by the greatest tennis player I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to sprinkle one little extra memory on that, which is seeing her sea walk at Wimbledon on the lawns, you know, on the on the very traditional lawns after she won her gold medal. It's just kind of another one of those things of just like the cultural significance um, that she holds in, in so many different respects. Thank you so much, Cecil Harris, veteran sports reporter, host of podcast docuseries All-American Venus and Serena, Suzette Hackney, deputy editor and national columnist for USA Today, Elsie Granderson, columnist at the LA Times, and Jerry Maserati, author of the biography Seeing Serena. Thanks so much for your comments in looking back at the legacy and career of Serena Williams. We're going to go out with Be Alive by Beyonce from King Richard. I'm Ariana Prail, and for Mina Kim, we'll have more for him tomorrow with guest host Rachel Myro. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.